Matthew chapter 12. From chapters 12 through the beginning of 16, chapter 16, Matthew records several occasions where the Pharisees come and challenge Jesus. They question him about what he is teaching, and they also are questioning him about what he does. Uh, There are at least two kind of themes worth noting in this section of scripture from chapter 12 into the beginning of chapter 16. Um, By answering the, the Pharisees' questions, Jesus continues to prove that he is the Christ, which I believe wholeheartedly is the primary purpose of uh, Matthew's gospel. And simultaneously, these encounters serve to escalate hostility from the Pharisees toward Jesus. So they come and they are trying to trap Jesus and he answers them, he responds in a way that is absolutely right on and appropriate, but makes them even more angry at him. Does that make sense to you? You know when you go to confront somebody because they are so wrong, and then they prove that they're right, and then you just want to grab them by the throat? (laughs) That's that's what Diane tells me she feels like, you know. I'm kidding. Whoa, that'll get back fat. That's bad. (laughs) So the Pharisees, they are looking for a justifiable reason to kill Jesus. They can't just go kill him because that would make them look bad. So they're looking for a reason. They're trying to trap him so that they will have a reason to kill him. Jesus doesn't try. He does not even try to avoid their traps. He kind of one-ups them. He's a little bit antagonistic. You'll see that later. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that can't be Jesus. I don't know. I just read the text and this is what happens. Um, He makes them look bad in front of the people almost every time. There's a crowd of people and he makes them look bad. So the first of these encounters with the Pharisees is over the Sabbath. And so I titled this this morning, The Law of the Sabbath. Sounds daunting, doesn't it? It should. The Law of the Sabbath. So here we go. Matthew chapter 12. Uh, My first point is the Jesus... I tried so hard to take some words out of this, but they're all important. Jesus, Lord over the Sabbath. Now, if you are a Jew or especially a Pharisee hearing this for the first time, you're like, wait, the Sabbath, that's the law. Nobody but God is above the Sabbath. Does that make sense? Kind of see where we're going with this? Jesus, Lord over the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 12, 12 verse 1, here we go. He says, uh, at about that time, so, so uh, Matthew's making a point to say it's not chronological, but about that time, uh, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, okay? I'll spend some time with the Sabbath here in a minute if you're not sure what it is. His disciples were hungry, So they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. So what was so sacred about the Sabbath that the Pharisees got so offended about? 
The disciples were literally, just as they were walking through a field, they were grabbing the head of grain and breaking it from the stalk. They were probably rubbing it in their hands. I was raised in West Texas, so this is like, been there, done that. Uh, part of the reason that I've been there, done that, is because the farmer told me that if you, if you do that and you eat the grain, if you chew on it long enough, it'll turn into bubble gum. I guess I never chewed long enough. I don't know. It's not, it's not like they were sitting down to this great meal. They were rubbing the grain because, you know, it's got husk on, on the, you don't eat the husk. And so they would rub it and then they would eat this little, little handful of grain. Really? That is what the Pharisees are so upset about? It's their plucking a head of grain and rubbing it and eating it that is so sinful that the Pharisees come and confront Jesus about your disciples are in sin. It's nothing like the church today. The idea of the Sabbath goes way back to the very beginning, literally. God created for six days, making the heavens and the earth. That's a big deal. Read about that in Psalm earlier. And on the seventh day, God rested. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, set apart, because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. So, so God worked. Sometimes people make a big issue of, I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, if you need to be working six days before, and then you have a Sabbath. That's part of the Sabbath is having six days of work before, okay? So God worked, and then God ceased to work, and he rested. Now, the Hebrew word for Sabbath, it simply means cease or rest, the Sabbath became a law. So, so the Sabbath idea, the principle is introduced back in Genesis chapter two. It doesn't come, become a law until Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, and it's the first of the 10 commandments. Do you know that? Often in scripture, uh, lists are put in order of importance. And so it's possible that whenever God gives us the 10 commandments, they, keeping the Sabbath is a very important commandment. He says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, he says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Okay, so we don't know much about what's going on yet. Verse 9, you have six days. Here's the instruction to explain what the Sabbath is. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, because you're probably talking to the men, right? Because we're so responsible. We have lots of work to do. And so God specifically says, this includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock can't even work on the Sabbath, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. 
That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. I think it's important that he includes verse 11. I think it's interesting that he includes verse 11. He's like, listen, God worked for six days and then rested. He created things for six days. So I don't know what you're doing that is so important, but it's not so important that you can't take a day off. You okay? I know you're waiting to amen me here in a minute. That's what it is. Where is he going with this? The Sabbath... I, I like the Sabbath. I like, I like the teaching of the Sabbath because it's very important. The Sabbath demonstrates this unique parallel between our physical lives and our spiritual lives. Listen to me carefully. The Sabbath requires us to stop working to provide for our own physical well-being. It forces us to trust that God will care for us on that seventh day. And it's illustrated with the manna, right? For seven, six days, you're going to have manna. And on the sixth day, you're going to collect enough for the seventh day because the seventh day is not going to be there. Seventh day is a day of rest. Remember? That's a great story. It illustrates the importance of the Sabbath and how the Sabbath works and our faith in God on the Sabbath. It's very easy for us to... Reason that I, I, I identify with men better. <laughs> I don't always understand how women think. But I know for men, we're thinking, I work and I work hard. And we even make, uh, we spiritualize, I provide for my family. That is a spiritual responsibility. So Brent, I have to work on the Sabbath. That's what I have to do. I must get this done for my family's well-being. As if the physical well-being of me and my loved ones is completely dependent on the product of my labor. Did, did you catch that? There's a, there's a physical and spiritual parallel here. We start thinking, well, I have to provide everything for my family, so I have to work seven days a week to provide for my family. The Sabbath is a tactile way uh, of teaching us that your physical well-being is a gift from God exactly as your spiritual well-being is a gift from God. You okay? It's not all about you. But if I don't work, we don't eat. I understand where you're coming from. But there's also a spiritual truth of if you don't rest, you don't honor God. And there's a problem in that. The concept of the Sabbath changed uh, from Exodus, from Exodus 20 to when we get to the first century, when we're in Matthew chapter 12. It went from a day of resting from work that provided for oneself and acknowledging God and worshiping God for being the ultimate provider, recognizing that God is the ultimate provider, worshiping him as the supreme God. By the time we get to Matthew chapter 12, uh, the day, the Sabbath has changed to a day less about God and more about the person. What are you doing on the Sabbath? 
Are you walking too much? Are you laboring too much? What are you doing on the Sabbath? And the issue of the Sabbath is not about what you are doing. It is about God. Does that make sense? He set it apart as being holy to recognize him. In the spirit of no work, and I think probably even holiness, the Jewish teachers has, had designated 39 main classes of work which could not be performed on the Sabbath. So God comes along and says, no work. The Pharisees come along and they make a list of all the things you cannot do on the Sabbath. The first three things on this list were, I think that this is interesting, sewing, no sewing on the Sabbath. That, that should have been my point, just because that sounds good. No sewing on the Sabbath, no plowing on the Sabbath, and no reaping. There's the problem. No reaping on the Sabbath. According to the Pharisaic interpretation of the law, Jesus' disciples would have been guilty of reaping on the Sabbath. Now, they're not out there with a, with a sickle, and they're not out there cutting grain and stacking it. No, they're just walking through and, and grabbing the grains of... And I already explained it. You know, it was even, I read a long time ago that it was even said you couldn't spit in loose dirt because that would turn the dirt and that was plowing. That's gross. There was no law against eating on the Sabbath. Hallelujah. And if a person's life were in immediate danger from starvation, he would have been permitted, permitted to reap, to do what the disciples were doing, and to eat on the Sabbath. But since Jesus' disciples were not in danger of death by starvation, they were guilty of breaking one of the Sabbath regulations. Because they were pulling off a head of grain and eating it, they were harvesting they are horrible sinners now before i read the next text church when we do bible free christianity we end up exactly where the pharisees were enforcing our own spiritual regulations and not simply living in obedience to what god has clearly communicated to us are you with me? We impose how we think people should dress when they come to church. We impose how we think people should talk about Christianity. We impose, we impose a whole bunch of ideas that are just our own and have nothing to do with living in obedience to what God has clearly commanded to us. Verse three, Jesus said to them, <laughs> so, so they come to him, they throw the stones, Jesus, your disciples are in sin. You need to correct your disciples. They're harvesting on the Sabbath. They're breaking the Sabbath law. So Jesus responds to them. I just wish I could be more this way. Haven't you read the scriptures? These are the teachers of the law. That's like you. That's like me coming to you, most of you guys who work in the oil field, and saying, don't you know how to work in the oil field? Don't you know how to drive that big truck? Don't you know how to drill a hole in the ground? Duh. 
I mean, this is, I, this is why I think Jesus was just not an easy, passive person. He was pretty direct. Jesus said to them, haven't you read the scriptures? What David, you know, King David from the Bible? They would have known King David anyway. Y'all didn't get my joke. It was very funny if you knew the scriptures. <laughs> Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God. Uh-oh. And he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. And haven't you read the law of Moses that the priests on duty need you to hold on to that. The priest, I'm not going to develop this idea, but I can't help but put it out there. Jesus is putting this idea out here that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is putting it out there and he's not going to come back to, Matthew doesn't come back to the priesthood of Christ, okay? But Jesus says, haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath. I really think there's a little subtext here about what is about to happen in the next part of the story. I'll tell you here in a minute. So back to the text. Here we go. He says, haven't you read in the scriptures what David uh, and did when, with his companions when they were hungry? King David, he was, a, he was a patriarch of the Jewish religion. Everybody knew who King David was. Everybody knew the stories of King David. The Jews' own priests were also instructed by Moses, of all people, to work in the temple on the Sabbath. So this whole idea that rigid adherence to extraneous regulations can somehow make you right with God is not realistic, it's not practical, and it is not biblical. Can't happen. It's not, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Obtaining holiness or becoming righteous without the active presence of a holy and righteous God makes no sense. What is unholy doesn't make itself holy. That's the point. You can't keep the Sabbath well enough to make yourself holy. It requires a God who is holy to make you holy. Does that make sense? That's good. Man, that's good. The core meaning of the Sabbath was faith in God, not independent righteousness through perfect behavior on one day a week. No, 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 no. It was about putting your trust in God, demonstrating your trust in God. God, I will work hard for six days, but on that seventh day, I'm trusting that you will provide for me and my family. That's good. Whether or not you guys like it, I think it's good. <clears throat> Verse six. I tell you, Jesus goes on, as if he has not offended them enough. He says, I tell you, there is one here <clears throat> who is even greater than the temple. The temple in Jerusalem. There's one here who is greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man 
is Lord. <clears throat> that's, that's the bulk of the sentence. The second part, which is a subordinate clause, he says, the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Do you get that? He's Lord over all, specifically. He is even Lord over the seventh day of the week. Jesus' audacity to refer to himself as greater than the temple. Really, Jesus? The temple, the central and visible icon of the Jewish religion? The temple, the, the symbol of the presence of the one true God. The temple was a physical representation of God's presence. You remember inside you have the holies and then you have the holy of holies and that's where God stays behind the curtain. And when Jesus dies on the cross, what's gonna happen to the curtain? It's rent in two and God gets out from behind the holy of holies. The temple was where the Pharisees went to be close to and to worship God. How dare anyone say that there is something or someone who is greater than the temple? Now Jesus is speaking blasphemy. Why would you say that? I think Jesus is messing with them. Jesus is making an incredibly bold declaration. He's making a statement that, number one, he knew would offend the Pharisees. I know Jesus is the peacemaker. I know after he flips over tables and kicks butt, he's a peacemaker. He knew if he said he was greater than the temple, it would really mess with him. Number two, he knew that he would eventually, eventually like in the near future, Prove that he was the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, and the Savior. He was going to prove definitively that he is Lord even over the Sabbath because later Jesus is going to declare that he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. He's, I mean, from, from the perspective of the Pharisees, he is mocking the temple. I don't think he's being disrespectful. The temple is an important symbol in scripture. But Jesus says, I'm greater than the temple and I'm gonna destroy the temple and I'm gonna rebuild it in three days. Jesus scolds the Pharisees for not knowing the meaning of the Old Testament scriptures. I'm moving along from the temple. He says, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So Jesus is referring probably to both uh, Old Testament references. Both are really good. Maybe only one. I don't know. But Hosea 6.6, 6, he almost quotes it uh, verbatim. He says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. Hosea, that's in the Old Testament. That's under the sacrificial system. I mean, that's, that sounds like it contradicts the Old Testament law of sacrifice where, where Hosea, the prophet Hosea, God is speaking through the prophet and he says, I want you to show love. Showing love is more important than offering sacrifices. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. You know what's more important than keeping all the pharisaical regulations of, of the Sabbath? Knowing God. 
That's more important. So says God himself. Or possibly he's referring to Micah chapter six, verses six through eight. I think that this paints a, a, just a really excellent picture where Micah, again, the prophet of God, God's speaking through him. And he says, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Because that was the instruction. Should we bow before God most high? That seems reasonable. With offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sin? Here's a man who understands how his sin has separated from his from how his sin has separated him from God and how offensive his sin is to God. So how can we approach the Lord of heaven? Do we come and grovel on our faces? Do we give him all that we can? Do we burn, make offer all these burnt offerings? Do we how, what is the price? How, after our sin, how do we approach the righteous and holy God? What is the price? And the prophet says, no, old people. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. Don't chew wheat till it turns to gum. No, it's... That's not in there. I just was checking to see if you were paying attention. Three people were. This is what God requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What about, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the Sabbath? What about walking too far on the Sabbath? What about eating too much on the Sabbath? What about rubbing grain on the, in your hands on the Sabbath? More important than keeping the letter of the law, more important than the ritual sacrifices, is you doing what is right. You loving the opportunity to show mercy. You being humble as you walk with God. There's a story about this I have to tell you. If you've been around very long, you've heard me tell this story. So about this scripture, there's a mouse and an elephant. And they walk across this bridge, this little shaky rope bridge across this great canyon. And they walk across and it, it's just scary. And when they get across, the mouse says to the elephant, we really shook that bridge. That's, that's how we walk with God, is we think we're really doing something great. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, you didn't shake the bridge, sweetheart. I had to get there. I could tell some of you didn't make the connection. Like, he's telling a story. We don't know why, and it's not funny. So It's not about sacrificing. It's not about us living by the letter of law. It's about you not forcing your faith on others by, but simply living your faith with others. It's not about forcing your faith on others. It's about simply living your faith with others. Does that make sense? And then they see how you live. They see your faith and how it shapes your behavior. And then one day they say, why is it that you live with hope? And then the door's wide open, right? So how do we get, uh, 
If we're going to do that, if we're not going to teach the letter of the law, if we're not going to be like the Pharisees and say, if you come to Desert Heights, you have to dress like this, talk like this, look like this, act like this, and laugh at the right time. If we're not going to teach people how to behave like Christians, then, then how are we going to get new believers and heathens to act like Christians? It's a reasonable question. We don't. What? We don't. Just going to let that sit for a minute because I feel the awkwardness in the room. Yeah. Apparently, we have a responsibility to make them act like Jesus acted. No, we don't. We trust that God's presence in them will transform them. And then they'll grow in him. And they'll begin to behave like Christ Jesus instead of acting like church people. You okay? I think that that's a significant difference. I love church people. Believe me, I do. I do. But sometimes church people act like Pharisees instead of like followers of Christ. And that's very different. Okay, I'm going to move on because I just felt like the tithes and offering went down. All right, so here in verse eight, Jesus makes other obnoxious declarations. I started to change the word obnoxious, but nope, Jesus is being obnoxious. He's, he's absolutely being obnoxious here. The Pharisees have approached Jesus. They're looking for a reason to kill him, to arrest him and then kill him. Uh, and Jesus, he just leans into their accusations. He says, for the son of man is Lord. I love this. For the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath have held these, pardon me, the Pharisees, they've held these beliefs about the Sabbath as sacred. This is their faith. The Sabbath is holy. There's certain things you don't do on the Sabbath or you'll go straight to hell. You'll make God mad and he'll send the Amalekites and the Philistines to destroy us. So you have to keep the Sabbath holy. I think that there's a little bit of it in them that's just their self-righteousness, that we have these rules and we keep it this way, and that makes us better than all the rest of you. Either way you see it, this is their faith system. This is what they believe. We have the Sabbath, uh, we, have the, we, we keep the Sabbath holy, and then God will be happy with us. Now this man Jesus comes along and he claims that he is Lord, that he has authority over the Sabbath, he basically says, I'm rewording it so that it's just a little more palatable. He basically says, I am supreme over and above the Sabbath. The Sabbath does not rule me, but I rule the Sabbath. You okay? If you're a Pharisee, you're not. Number two. Oh, I thought I had a lot of time. I am telling too many elephant stories. Number two, do good on the Sabbath. What does that have to do with anything? Do good on the Sabbath. Verse nine, when Jesus went over to their synagogue, I'm sorry, I'm gonna pause there for a minute because I know not everybody knows what the synagogue is. So in Jerusalem, they have the temple and that's where all the Jews from the nation would come and they would worship and celebrate their, their big holidays that they would get that come together for Passover. They would come there, everybody's there, big event in the city of Jerusalem at the temple. Now, during the week, they didn't all travel from all over the country to come to Jerusalem to go to the temple. So 
So they had a local synagogue. And the synagogue was partly a community center, but it was also where the Jews went to uh, study and to worship together during the week. Does that make sense? All right. So then Jesus went over to there, the Jews... Synagogue. He doesn't say the synagogue. He doesn't say our synagogue. He says their synagogue. We are on their turf now. Where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Jesus notices this. Are you picturing this? So he comes in, he notices this man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Does the law permit a person to work, which would be bad on the Sabbath, by healing, which seems good, on the Sabbath? I mean, if they would just stop and listen to their question, they would know that they're in the wrong, but anyway. Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so that they could bring charges against him. So the Pharisees, I believe with all of my heart, they have heard the rumors about Jesus. They know Jesus well enough. They knew Jesus was likely to heal this man who had a hand that was deformed or literally it was dried up. Literal translation. He has his hand that's all dried up. So he's got problems. He can't work like everybody else. Jesus had a reputation for doing the merciful thing. He had a reputation for healing people who had done nothing to deserve healing. This guy can't even work six days a week. He doesn't deserve healing. Jesus was known for loving the opportunity to show mercy. Do you hear those words? Jesus, the son of the living God, is looking for an opportunity to show mercy, to bless someone who has done nothing to deserve a blessing. We're getting a little glimpse into who Jesus is. He's the guy that's just full of goodness and he's just looking for an opportunity to give it to someone, but they don't deserve it. He doesn't care. You okay? Well, Brent, we give here, so we should get the best parking spots when it snows. God doesn't care. Does the law of Moses permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Well, the Old Testament doesn't speak directly to that issue. Um, maybe the Pharisees and their 39 classes of work, maybe they had come up with some regulation about healing on the Sabbath, but I kind of doubt it because I don't think that healing on the Sabbath was something that happened on a regular basis that they said, we have to address this specific issue. So Jesus' disciples, the Pharisees and all the onlookers, they're in the synagogue. It's a community space. So there's a bunch of onlookers. They're all watching. They're in the Jewish synagogue watching to see what's going to happen because the, they know that the Pharisees are wanting to arrest and kill Jesus. However, there's this man here with a withered hand. He was probably a regular around there. He was local. They probably, most of them probably knew him. They may have helped him on occasions when he was struggling to do something. I don't know. They knew who he was. He was a friend of theirs to some degree. To see this man healed, even though it's on a Sabbath, would be wonderful. I mean, he's a friend of ours. We want him to be blessed. The Pharisees say that if Jesus heals him, he's in the wrong. But our hearts say that, wow, if Jesus heals him, that would be 
That would glorify God. That would be wonderful. So in typical Jesus form, he answers the Pharisees' question with a question of his own. Verse 11, he answered, if you, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is this person, this man with a withered hand, than a sheep? Isn't that cool? Can you imagine this guy standing there listening to this going on? Jesus is putting his life on the line for this man with a withered hand. And then he says, even more, even more than that, this man is more valuable than your sheep. And then he says, he makes another declaration. Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. That was the answer the Pharisees were was wanting Jesus to, well, they were wanting him to say yes so they could arrest him. But he said, yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. There's no argument. Jesus is absolutely right. Everyone there would save their sheep from falling down a well, even on the Sabbath. And this man is much more valuable than a sheep, even on the Sabbath. Do you think God values us? I mean, I, th I think that's a recurring theme throughout scripture, especially in Matthew. God values just the common follower of Christ. And Jesus makes another, this, this big declaration. He says, yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. The law does permit a person to do good, uh, to help others, to bless, to show mercy on the Sabbath. And that is the part that I think that Jesus is tying to. He is about to do a function of the priest. He is going to be an advocate between uh, a, a withered hand and a man and his creator. He is going to do exactly what priests are supposed to do in being the, the mediator between sinful man and a holy God. And that's why he says earlier, the priests have every right by the law of Moses to work on the Sabbath. Matthew doesn't develop that. Jesus doesn't comment on it. But I think that that's what's happening. Jesus says, I'll function as a priest. I'll stand between this, this man with a withered hand and a holy God, and I will make it reconciled. I will fix it. I will heal it. I'll function as a, the priest. Read Hebrews. Verse 13. Then he said to the man, oh, I got ahead, so now you know what's gonna happen. Sorry. So then he said to the man, hold out your hand. Ah, I don't know if you, I don't know if he was like me. I don't know if you were think like me, but if I have a withered hand, I've probably got it hidden some. He says, hold it out. Hold out your hand so everybody can see it. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Wow. Wow, boy, have they missed it so bad. Jesus not only declares that he is Lord over the Sabbath, he proves that he is Lord over the Sabbath. Oh. That's incredible. He says he's Lord even over the Sabbath. 
And then he proves that he's Lord of the Sabbath, Sabbath by healing the man with the withered hand. So now, what is the application to us? Well, Jesus makes the law of the Sabbath a little more clear to us. It's not about sacrifice, and it's not about refusing to exert any energy for any reason. On that note, I know that some of you guys were shift work, and I'm not throwing any stones at you. I understand. I think the principle is have a day of rest, a day set aside to worship God, and to not be concerned about yourself. Actually, I'm getting there in a second. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about refusing to exert energy for any reason on on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about resting and setting aside time for worshiping and celebrating God. However, if you have the opportunity to do what is right, if you have the opportunity to love mercy, if you have the opportunity to walk humbly with God, then you should. If somebody on the Sabbath needs some help, by all means, go help them. Instead of looking for the spiritual failures in others, like the Pharisees, maybe we can look for opportunities to bless those people. I know, I'm preaching to a different church, right? Not, not Desert Heights. Let us take one day a week and not serve our own interests. Let's take one day a week and honor the Sabbath by not making it about ourselves, but about God and even about others. I think resting is good. I do. I'm, I'm a firm believer in resting. But I also know that blessing others is glorious. Rest is good. Having the opportunity to love mercy and bless others is even greater. 